Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is August 20th, 2018. I am Rollo McFlugel and with me is Slappy Jones 2 and we are both of McFlugel.com. The show notes page for this episode is McFlugel.com slash 105 where you'll find links to ways to subscribe to the podcast and our email newsletter as well as finding us on social media and a way to check out LibertyMugs.com. And if you notice there, we're not showing prices in Bitcoin anymore. And that's not because we don't accept Bitcoin. We sure do. And we encourage you to pay us that way. Uh, but we changed payment processors and we have a much better way of doing it now. And so that uh, plugin doesn't uh, change the price for us automatically. So I'll try to figure out how to do that manually. But in the meantime, I threw up one of those big Bitcoin accepted here pictures on the sidebar so it should be obvious but just in case you were wondering so with that i'm going to hand it over to slappy jones too and we're going to try attempt number two of this episode because i just stopped it i don't know i don't know if that was in your head you're like this is the best i've ever done and then i just go well i don't like it let's start over (laughs) i was thinking that was an all-star performance that was going to go into the mcflugal hall of fame how good i was on that and i think that's the real reason why you stopped it yeah just introduce the episode Thank you, Rallo. I'm Slappy Jones. That was Rallo McFlugel. It's the Rallo and Slappy Show. Today we're going to talk about how fun libertarians are parties, um, you know, sarcastically. Uh, I think we've all gone through this. Um, certainly I have. Um, back in the day, I was a neocon and I thought I was right back then. And I was very passionate about my opinions. And um, of course, I regret a lot of that today. But um, at the time, I thought I was I was right, and the the way I got to this was through reading, through arguing, debating with people, um, and I came around to this side. But that was a long process, and along the way, I probably annoyed a lot of people um, as I started to learn these things. As I started the the thing to find out the things I always just assumed were correct, assumed were true that the government was here to help you, that voting was great. That voting puts your representative in and it's a, it's your civic duty and you find out that's all lies, uh, kind of turns your world upside down. And at least for me, I was, there was a little bit of anger for sure. And, um, I wanted to tell everyone about it. Like, Hey, look at this. It's all fake. All this stuff you always thought it's fake. Here it is. And then, um, it's not well received, believe it or not. And then that makes you even a little more angry because, or angrier is the correct term there. Um, because people aren't hearing these things that you think are so interesting and, and eye-opening. And uh, you stop getting invited to parties. Um, no, uh, but people just uh, know when you come around, it's like, all right, don't say anything about George Bush. Uh, don't say anything about Barack Obama. Because you know where it's going. Um, you're so out of the mainstream. You're, you're radical that it's not going to be well-received, and it, and that should be expected. But anyway, Rallo, I want to send it back over to you because you, I mean, you have always had the reputation of being the hit of the party. Um, how's your experience been on that? I don't know what party you're getting invited to. <laughs> I, I, since when do libertarians get invited anywhere? True. Well, I have to pretend. Other people are listening to this. Yeah, we got to put on that act. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's... it's uh, 
I think it's something a lot of us go through, especially it's the the movement tends to be have a lot of young people. And when you're young, you tend to be a little more aggressive or, you know, trying to well, find your way in the world. Right. And part of it is you're excited about it and you want other people to know, but you, you kind of realize, I mean, yeah, I've noticed looking back, there's a lot of times I'll be talking someone's ear off and they'll just kind of be like, yeah, cool. Yeah, man. Not right. Yeah. Most people don't think about this. I mean, we're the weird ones because we're thinking about stuff that. 99.9% of people have no reason to think about. They just accept it and, and they should. And right. that's the world they grew up in. And it's not, and, and I know a lot of libertarians like to think that statists are stupid or something, but it's not because they're stupid. It's just they're ignorant about it. And probably for good reason. It's uh, Brian Kaplan's got the, uh, the irrational voter, what he talks about, where it's they're irrational, but for good reason. Because they have rational, irrational. Yeah, they kind of in, in the back of their head, they probably don't realize it uh, explicitly, but spend a lot of time learning about politics and, and all that stuff. It doesn't make sense to do that because your vote doesn't really matter at all. Well, so I thought Kaplan did a pretty good, um, he had a, a talk or, or it was in his book, I can't remember which. Where he says he'd be being in front of a room of, of people who want to go see him talk. So, you know, he says it's a room full of nerds, people who are politically engaged, and he'll say something like, Who is your senator? Your 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 US senator. How many people know who their senators are? And most of the room raises their hand. And then I'll say, Who's your representative? And less people raise their hand, and then who's your state senator, who's your state rep, whatever. It goes down the line. And as he goes down, gets more local, less hands go up. But even when hands do go up, he'll say, uh, okay, and what was their last vote? And nobody knows that. And he says, <laughs> it's irrational to know that. It's irrational to follow this and to know what they're all doing because your vote is insignificant. And you know that whether you believe it or not. And the proof is that you don't know what they're doing anyway. Yeah, and and a lot of people would like to resist that idea because, they, no, 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 I care, I know. But, you know, it, it, the proof is in the pudding. You can ask them about this stuff and they don't know. And, and yeah. It's One of the things I like to do around election time is uh, people ask me who I'm voting for. I tell them I don't vote unless you annoy me enough, then I'll vote for the person who the opposite person that you're voting for. So it cancels out your vote. And, you know, uh, I haven't voted in a long time. But the funny thing is my vote counts as much as that person who's passionate and cares. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Right. But uh, that's a side point to where we were going. Yeah. Um. I think I had like four other points I wanted to make, but I forget all of them. Good. So, uh, great show, man. We'll catch you next week. Yeah. But that just means I'm going to jump over to another point, which actually, since I started talking, I kind of forget what that. Oh, oh. I, now I remember. So, we're trying to talk to all these people, and most people just don't care. And a lot of times, libertarian, you know, someone will say something to you, and and you end up having to. Because they'll, maybe they'll ask a question and, and eventually it'll just be like, well, what, do you not want police? And you're kind of like, well, it's not that I don't want police, but it should be like privatized police. And that turns into like, what? You're crazy. Yeah, well, it's and not. Then, so, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And so it turns into this whole thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. 
crazy stuff for people to hear that they've never heard before because there's no reason for them to not accept that this is the way it is and this is the way it always will be. Because, um, I mean, it's just that's what the world that they live in. They've got I mean, that's not what much of a reason. Is. Yeah, they've got not much. They don't have much of a reason to ever, ever question it. So, um, you know, if if after a 10 minute conversation about this kind of stuff and someone says, I, I don't think I said this in this episode. I think it was from before. So hopefully I'm not saying the same exact thing I said four minutes ago. But uh if someone, if you have a conversation with someone and then like 10 minutes later they go, you know what? I completely agree with you. I'm, I'm an anarcho-capitalist or a voluntarist just like you after I was just a social democrat. That's probably not good. Um, so it just, it's one of those things where it just takes a lot of time to, for someone to transition out of their normal status paradigm and into something else that's just completely different. Because um, we're the weirdos. We're the ones that think about this. Um, when there's no reason, like just existing in this world, there's not much of a reason to like think about it and question it. Not that you shouldn't, you should question everything. Um, because this is, it leads you to stuff like libertarianism, but most people don't. So how, uh, how, uh, in, in how important, how fruitful do you think that the conversation, how conversation is with uh trying to get because that's what we're trying to do we're trying to bring about a libertarian society we're trying to get rid of the state so do you think that talking to people is good a good Um, way of doing it i was gonna say yeah i think it's great to talk to people (laughs) yeah uh yeah i mean do you think it changes do you think it changes people's minds let me put it that way you put you uh, last up. I, I wish we could just Frankenstein the two episodes together. Yeah, you asked you framed this question a lot better than I just did. No, it's no. So I know where I know where you're going because. Um, but so I think in my own life, and uh, Raul and I live relatively near each other, close enough to hang out every now and then. We have a we have a common group of friends, and in that group, I think we've done a pretty good job talking to people, opening their mind either getting them to come all the way or pretty close, uh, at least changing the way they think about things they always thought they knew. And I think of my own life, and that's really a big part of how I got It's not the only way. Um, started with reading some books. It actually started with me wanting to be a really good Republican. And uh, so I wanted to really know economics well, and uh, that, that took me down a path. Um. But the conversation was necessary. Had I not had those conversations, who knows? I don't, you can't, I have no idea where I'd be. Uh, And that's me personally. Um, I think it's very good and important to talk about these ideas to as many people as you can. Uh, But (laughs) is it efficient? Right. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think, like you just mentioned earlier, if you talk to someone and say, you know, it's not, it's not that we, you know, I, I don't think we need police. I think we need security, and I think we need to be safe and be able to interact with people without the fear of being attacked. And start explaining ways, and people go, "Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, and and you know what? Don't you don't even have to tell me about the roads. I already figured out how we could build them. That person's gonna 
that person's rare, put it that way, if right. they really get it in one conversation, because these are radical ideas. They're things people haven't heard before, and they're scary. So the conversation is you have to commit time and a lot of discussion on things that you've already figured out in your head. So you need patience because uh, one of the things we say is the people you're talking to typically aren't dumb. They just don't know, right. uh, or but they think they know because everyone has an ego at some level. Um, Rallo and I, I think our friends we went to high school with, I don't think they'd describe us as, uh, as having a huge ego. We're, we're pretty, you know, humble people, um, more except introverted. We ex- except we named the podcast after ourselves. And exactly. That's where I was going. So we do, you know, even us who, who we would, most people would probably describe us as being humble and, and being polite, respectable. We certainly have an ego. We record this every single week and put it out there for people to listen to us talk. So, and everyone has that at some level and everyone thinks they're right. And so when you have the conversation, it's finding out what they, what they're passionate about and uh, being, being better at it than they are, which is one of the great things about libertarianism. Um, I don't know if you want to explore that a little bit before. Well, yeah, there, there's one thing I want to say about that, and especially as it relates to talking to your friends about it. There's a reason that they are your friends, hopefully. And hopefully if there's someone's your friend or if you're someone's friend. If you have enough money to pay them every week. Yeah, well, isn't that how everyone does it? Yeah, that's how everyone has friends. Yeah. Um, but uh, they probably respect you uh, for something, right? And that they probably don't think that you're an idiot or evil. And if they did, that you're probably not really going to be your friend, um, or at least won't have certain conversations with you. Won't even enter- really entertain the conversation because all I have, for, you know, there's people everyone knows that. They're just not someone you want to get into a political discussion with because they don't have much to offer. But if someone's going to, if you've got a friend that's going to sit there and have a discussion with you, um, it probably means that they think that you're not a jerk. They think that you're not an idiot. And when, while they might not agree with you, they at least have enough respect for you to be like, huh, well, I wonder what there is to this if, if Slappy thinks these ideas, there must, there's got to be, maybe there's something there. At least let me listen to him because I think he's a, he's a decently smart guy otherwise, and and not an idiot. So let me at least hear it out. And it might be in the beginning. There's, I mean, they're going to ask a lot of questions. They're going to not agree at all. But over time, I mean, I've noticed that a lot of my friends will start opening up over time a little bit right and they'll and they'll come out and ask for your opinion on something right because they'll start getting it slowly but there's been times i i had a a friend from work that i would talk about this we'd have conversations and i think he's i don't think he would call himself a libertarian but i think he absolutely is um and actually fairly close to probably being a, a nancap too at this point but uh although i don't think he would ever admit it but that's fine um but I remember he asked me one time, because uh, a lot of people at work would, you know, give me a, a little bit of a hard time, a lot of it joking around uh, about being a, an ACAP and stuff. And uh, he asked me, like, well, what do you think about drunk driving? And I said, like, oh, well, you know, yeah, just no victim, no crime. So, yeah, go out and drink and drive and everything. And he goes, well, I was kind of hoping that you'd have a, actually answer the question for real. And I was like, oh, okay. Sorry. Hmm. 
I thought you were just, you know, uh, you know, goofing off with me. And so I explained it to him, and he's like, okay, that's yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Because what I said was that, all right, well, you got to frame the this society correctly. It's not just should it be illegal to, to drink and drive. It's the roads would be private, and no one would want drunk drivers on the road. So it would be against the rules uh, by the road owner for, you know, for their own uh, – uh, for their own business sake. And then also the rest of the drivers out there don't want to be dealing with drunk drivers. So it, it would sort itself out that way. And so people start asking you, start thinking these ideas in their head, but it might be crazy, seemingly crazy as you go, especially for someone kind of newer to it. We're, we're so used to thinking these ideas through that it's, it doesn't affect us when we say like, Hey, do away with this huge part of government. Um, but for these people, it's, it's, more difficult and they probably thinking like man i must be like out of left field thinking this so when you say it and you say it confidently they're like oh okay yeah i, I was kind of thinking that so it's very good to be that sort of person to someone that um that you're there when you spread libertarianism um through your words and writing and everything that's kind of this is kind of the main point that the very roundabout thing I was getting to this this final point here not is that you have to build up a certain amount of trust with someone because when you're presenting these ideas that are so radical and out there that and I'm saying this as someone who has a podcast and a blog that random people aren't going to go on your site and say oh this guy Rollo McFlugel that I never heard of that's got a goofy name for his website and he's saying that we don't need the state to uh you know, protect us from uh, eating bad food. Um, wow, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with them. Even though that I've, you know, I'm a social democrat or something. You need to build up a certain amount of trust. You need to, and build up a reputation that you're not saying ridiculous stuff. You're not being an idiot. So that's why there's, there are certain, like a Tom Woods or something. He's got a huge audience and he's got a lot of pull. It's because, and he, and he doesn't just have people who are completely agree with him. He's got a lot of people that are kind of the even. I think he's got a lot of like Republican leaning, libertarian, like the the you know that kind of conservative, not quite libertarian crowd. But they respect him and they think he's not an idiot. Um, it's not because they know him personally, but they've they've seen enough of his stuff and they've probably read things that are more uh, a little bit more palatable for the mainstream that they say oh hey i really like this guy or maybe they hear him on another podcast or maybe they hear him on a talk and so they listen to him there and then since they like what he says they follow him otherwise and then they start hearing this other stuff and then there's i'm sure there's some people that are going to turn around and say oh well, i thought i liked you were going to be good but you're actually an idiot but i think there's also going to be a good amount of people that say okay well i mean i think this i think he's clearly a good guy smart guy let me, let me hear 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 what he says and then that's kind of like what plants a seed or it it it, it kind of lets the bait out there that they start to chase so um you know we all have visions anyone who's got a podcast or a blog we've all got visions of grandeur that it's going to be the, the biggest thing in the world and and you should end this yeah oh we are the biggest blog and podcast and not just in libertarian circles just flat out we are Period. just look it up just look up um, number one podcast 
It's listed. If you look it up at McFlugel.com, you'll yeah. see it. And, and if your search result pulls up anything other than us, then you that's just proof that the government is controlling information. That's correct. And if you look at like Facebook and Twitter are just dominating um, your mind and you're probably typing in typing in the wrong words, but you're so diluted by the state that you can't even read right. what you're typing or know what you're typing. So it's not our fault, but um, yeah, so it's, it's cause that's what, when we write a lot, especially early on, we had a lot of our friends, the friends we we're just talking about, were kind of reading what we were doing. And that's how I, I think you were the same way too, Slappy. I wrote with our friends in mind. Them in mind, yeah. Like that's who I was writing to. And so it's, I think that's an effective way of doing it because instead of just trying to appeal to like everyone and get everything all, all at once, it's, 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 you got to build it up slowly. And so what's, what's good is that we're not just, I mean, we could just write this stuff and send it to our friends and, and be effective, very effective that way with them. But we might as well let everyone see it. And so the benefit of that is when we start, you know, you start making connections, you start networking out there that even if you're not um, reaching new people, I think it's very important to preach to the choir. And I think Bob, was it Bob Murphy gave this talk? I was at a Liberty Fest one time and and I think he, I think it was him gave the talk about uh, the importance of preaching to choir because that ends up being a lot of what, um, what this is. I mean, we're the, the, for the most part. I mean, a libertarian podcast. It's vast majority of listeners are other libertarians that already agree. But the bat, the value, the benefit of that is that you you're going to pick up on stuff, a different way of thinking about something, a different way of arguing something that you you never thought of before, and so that gives you better ammunition, better ways of attacking that argument when you're talking to someone else. And when we are when we're all networking and doing these things. And interacting with each other, we're all learning from each other and able to expand our repertoires and become better at presenting our cases. So that's why, like... And calling each other communists and idiots. Yes. So that's why, even though that you're kind of like main focus on changing minds, especially for, for, you know, the smaller people out there, not us, of course, but, uh, you know, maybe have a narrow focus, but still like spread it out everywhere. Also, just because you, you might have a drive-by, someone who's just like kind of stumbles upon it and, and sees it. And, Which has happened. Oh, yeah. So that's, so that's, but so, so it's, it's like, it's kind of like when we, when I first started talking, it sounds and saying this like, oh, you know, don't really try to cast with the big net. It's like, yeah, don't, but also do that. I don't know if I'm making sense. Great advice. Yeah. <laughs> do this, <laughs> now, but don't do it. Yeah, like what I was going to say is um, we all have, well, maybe not, but I know I have some Democrat friends. <gasps> yeah, I know. Um, but one way to get to them, and it's funny because I, I'm thinking of some in, in particular. Car Campit? Number one. Um, but how I became a libertarian was talking to these people and getting fired up and then reading so that I could really smash them the next time we talk. And these are my friends, you know. But as I become libertarian, it's easier to talk to them because I found where I was wrong and I can find where they are correct or at least on the on the way to being correct. 
and I can beat them on on their own issue, which is advice from Scott Horton. He says it all the time, out right the right and out left the left. And one of those examples that a real life example that I use all the time with Democrats is getting to talk about the Fed, which, of course, if you just say and the Fed, they roll their eyes. But when you talk about big business controlling government and being in the in the uh, pockets of government and business writing the laws and then you can talk about how that money gets to wall street and there's ways to spin it that way to where they go yeah okay no that that makes a little sense um because a lot of democrats at least um their gut reaction is to be anti-wall street so you can very easily work the fed into that conversation and then you kind of build a better rapport with them at least they think oh wow not only is he making my argument better, but maybe I should listen to him a little more. And then when you talk about the other things about the welfare, um, they probably don't agree with you, at least not right away, but they're more open to listening to you because you are so good on the issue they care about. Um, and that's uh, an another thing I wanted to talk about and how we can kind of transition into the second part of this uh, conversation is, is having discussions um, efficient? Is it good? Is it a, a way to change people and, and change society and, and how they think and, and how they look at government and, and eventually get rid of government? Probably not. The way to do it, I think, is through agorism. You can do it by people not even realizing it because the reality is when you talk to most people, they're all in their own head in some twisted way. They're all minarchists. They don't want government doing things that they know they can do on their own. They don't want government telling them what TV stations they can watch, what they have to eat for dinner. Those are things they think they can handle. Most people, an overwhelming majority of people, at least in my experience, maybe that's anecdotally, but I think it's probably true, want government to do the things they think the market can't handle. And so if we can show them a way the market can handle it, then they don't need government anymore. And one of the ways to do that is to actually go out and do things, but talk about talk about the ways we could do it. And uh, you know, you'll see you'll see the start, state start to wither away as the market handles the thing people previously thought only government could do. Yeah, like plowing fields. All you need to do is go out and get a tractor and plow and. Anyone can do it and we'll have anarchy. And that'll end, yeah, that will stop all these people who are saying we need the government to plow fields. Because mm -hmm. that's the conversation I have the most with people. So who's going to plow the fields? Right. The roads, like they get the roads, but it's who will plow Oh, yeah. Fields. The roads are easy for everybody. Um, right. No, yeah, I agree. And that's, it's when they, the thing is to get them to get that taste of what the market provides. Um, and so See things the possibilities. like yeah, so things like Uber and and this is why like Uber and and Lyft and Airbnb are so incredible. I think is because they just took something that the government had uh, the monopoly on in some way. I mean, with Uber and Lyft especially, they the government gave the tacky ta tacky taxi licenses out, and Uber and they just. Without asking for permission, they just went and did it, did their own and thing, and they made it better. And now no one takes taxis anymore, 
and it's all Uber and Lyft, and that you don't have to be a libertarian to take those. And now there, I know there's people saying oh, it should be regulated and everything, but but the idea that it should be taken away or that it should be changed that much, most people love those services and don't want them changed. Um, and they're going to change. I mean, the, the market's going to drive change in them, but but for the most part, people are are thrilled with it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone away from using taxis. I mean. Well, it's funny. How, how old is Airbnb? Do you know? Not that old because... I, I don't know. A friend, it was a little bit after I graduated college, I think, because a, a friend of mine and I actually started working on a project that was similar, basically the same idea as Airbnb. We, well, had, we set up a little like workspace online and started trying to work out the ideas on how to do that. It was more like a, a couch surfing platform where you would be uh, meet and like find someone else in another city or something that you wanted to visit, and you find someone that wanted to visit your city, and then you like went to each other's place and like was their tour guide. Nice. And then he got hooked up in a startup and moved to Chicago and has been extremely successful. So, <laughs> well. What I, what I was going to say with that is I remember years ago, so it was either before Airbnb was around or before it was popular, um, someone arguing with me about why we need government to regulate hotels and give licenses because if you're traveling in some area that you don't know, anyone could throw up a hotel sign and that guy could be a psycho killer. And how would you know? Because you're not from that area. You don't know the reputation. Um, and then, you know, I talked about branding and, and that's why there are big, that's why where, when you travel to pretty much anywhere, you can find a Hampton Inn or a Holiday Inn or something because, um, you know, that brand, you know, the room will be generally clean. It's not going to be a five star, but you'll be able to stay there because Hampton Inn has a reputation and all that. Um, and at the time I wasn't even thinking of the possibility of Airbnb, but then Airbnb came around, and now people don't really question that. They're staying in people's homes, and it's working really well. Oh, and yeah. More- I mean, that's that's a huge – not a huge, but now a not insignificant part of the economy is kind of this uh, – like the peer-to-peer kind of thing. Like that, right. like Uber and, and Airbnb, and even there's like food services too. There's car wash services. You can have someone come wash your car while you're at work. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Yep. And so that's the great thing is that this, these are market improvements, things that no one's asking permission from the state to, to break through the licensing and everything. They find kind of a loophole or they just flat out do it. And the state's so clumsy and big and slow that it can't always keep up. And so by the time that they kind of gain their bearings and, and try to do something about it, good luck trying to take Uber and Lyft away from people. It's not going to fly. They, they, they already have it. And they don't realize, I mean, they don't realize that that is actually like anarchy in action. Right. But, and that's, but that's the greatest part of it is that's what you want. You want people to change without even realizing they're doing it. Because if you walk up to, to someone and say, would you think that having people give taxi services people in a completely unlicensed way or completely as in without the state, that that would be productive and safe and, and good for everyone to say no absolutely not you need the government to make sure that you know blah 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 or you know your hotel example is good no you need to make sure that it's safe and it's going to be clean and everything well 
We can see that when they'll say that, but it'll just happen and they go along with it because they're they're being rational market actors. Despite their, uh, you know, their their preference for uh, or what they think is their preference for the state. Well, it is their preference. But um, when presented with a, a better alternative, they go for that. And so, yeah, I think that I agree that agorism, that, that kind of just um, creating technology is the way that the state's going to become undone because the market will always outstrip the state. And so it'll just start replacing services and, until it makes it obsolete. And so I think the big, I think this is kind of the, um, what's it called? Leading up to this is like, what is, what, do you have an opinion on maybe what the best opportunity there is now for technology to just destroy well, the state? I don't know. And the one hurdle that I can't get over is how would we have money in a free society? Don't we need a Federal Reserve Bank? Well, we could just use seashells. That's an idea. I found a couple of them this past weekend. I was down at the shore. I have some seashells that I brought up when I was in Florida uh, late this winter. I took them back up here, and they're all they're they're actually very nice. They're small. They're very uniform. I can put a lot in my pocket and have them. Um, there we go. So yeah, this is our money. Cool. Problem solved. So that solves that problem. Yep. Uh, any other ideas? Um, let's see. Uh, salt. Salt. That's Salt's easy, one. right? Because gold's kind of heavy. Yeah. Or could be if you want to carry a lot of it around. And you can't break it up very well. I mean, you got a gold coin. You're stuck with that. So if a gold coin's worth, I don't know, um, three cows. Right. And I only want two cows. I can't, we can't really make that trade. Is there anything you could break up into like point, what, like seven zeros and a one? Um, yeah. Oh, the Petro. The Petro. petro there it yeah. is. The, uh, the, the cryptocurrency in Venezuela. Yes. So that could be a solution. Yeah. We should really analyze that and see if we can uh, come up with the problems associated with it. It's not a bad idea. I don't know a whole lot about it, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but what about that? Um, what's the other one? Uh, I don't know. Um, Bitcoin, oh, S something? Bitcoin, yeah, S Bitcoin. Oh, Bitcoin SV. SV? Nah, yeah. No, not that one. Just straight up Bitcoin. Bitcoin Diamond? Yeah. Or Bitcoin gold, because that's what, you know, we're talking about gold and money, so it must be that. that did, what happened to that, by the way? I don't know why, but people still trade it. Really? Yeah, not it's 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 not worth much, but... It's not worth it's, nothing. It's still on, like, the uh, kind of not that low. Hmm. Well, anyway, how seriously, though, how could Bitcoin solve some of these issues that we're having and what what kinds of problems could bitcoin solve well it will help people retain and gain wealth and i think that's kind of the big thing is that currently with the monetary systems that we have now with central banking and federal reserves and all that um you can't 
there are really no good options. For you the can't average save person. your money. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It forces you. And this is where you take this down and talk to your Democrat friends. But they force you into the stock market, yeah. which is money going to Wall Street, you know? Yeah. Um, and you have no options. You can't put it under the mattress. You can't put it in a safe. It will be worth nothing. And the stock market is a terrible, terrible place for the average person because who's going to either one, want to put in that time or two, just have the time to really understand what they're putting their money into. They're just blindly throwing their money into something. And yeah, overall, it'll probably You're paying go a up. guy who you expect to be on top of that to do it for you. Right. Which is what a mutual fund is. Mm -hmm. But you're just kind of blindly doing it and it's, it's dumb money. And, and, and that's not to say that people are stupid. They're putting, I mean, I have money in there, but it's, it's dumb money. But that's kind of the what, the best option, one of the better options we have right now if you're in that current system to kind of, you know, gain a little bit of a appreciation on your wealth. I mean, hopefully, you know, the, the market tends to crash every seven to ten years. And so it's not it's not very good. Or if you keep it in a bank and you're gaining, you know, a little bit of interest, you'll get there. I mean, you're not you're not even close to keeping up with inflation. I mean, it's it's you're not left with very good options to, um, you know. I, I hold, will say hold, this: hold your wealth. It's not terrible to pay someone to invest your money for you, like if that's what you want to do, right? But why do you have to? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the problem: is that you, yeah. if you, if you don't do that, you're going to lose you're a lot losing. of value, and so All this, yes, exactly. And so part of that problem is that it's good it's good to you know divide labor and everything but when you're ignorant you, you still probably should have some idea of what's going on otherwise you're likely to more likely to get scammed on it so you're, exactly. you're exposing people to a lot of scams it was uh it was a couple of years ago remember that i think it was a local story the guy uh churning annuities yep on those old women yep i mean they should never at that point you should just be able to stuff your money under a mattress Right. When you're that old. You're close to, or you're in retirement or close to retirement. Yeah. You should be able to have built up enough wealth to where you can retire without paying someone to outpace inflation for you. Yeah, but because you can't do that, these couple of old women had to hire a guy and then he was ended up scamming them. Scamming them. And it's, and it's, you know, the guy sh obviously shouldn't be doing that, but you've created, right. there, there's, there's a system that's been created that heavily incentivizes that because if you don't do that, you're going to lose. Yeah, a side point on churning annuities is uh, there's surrender surrender charges in an annuity. If you get a ten year annuity, it may have a it might have a ten year surrender charge, but it could have a five year surrender charge. But the guy who sells it gets paid up front. All the commission is front loaded. So if he makes a sale and he takes that money that's in the annuity every year and gets a new annuity from it, he gets paid again, and the person who's buying the annuity has to pay a surrender charge on surrendering that annuity. So that's why churning is scamming someone. They're losing money. It's not in their interest. And that person doesn't know what they're doing. They just go, yeah, okay, sure. You're the advisor. Go ahead. Yep. Uh, and so some of it's on them for sure. But why do they have to do that? Yeah, it's because they're going to, they're not going to keep up with inflation because the Federal Reserve keeps, has a uh, really uh, easy money. And so they, they try to, 
to, I mean, their goal is to have a certain amount of inflation every year. That's part of why they exist. Yeah, it's not even like they're hiding it. It's yeah, out it's in the open. Scam. They, they yeah. say that deflation is horrible and you that would be terrible for an economy. So, I mean, talk to the average person and they'll say like, oh, no, you need to have some inflation. Inflation's good. Why? Most people will say that, I think. I mean, not most people don't even understand what inflate. Most people think that inflation is that oh, the price of the a loaf of bread went up. Yeah, um, yeah, but I mean, most people do believe that. But that no, most people think inflation. That, right, right. And you ask them why, and they just well, I don't know. But it, again, it's um, uh, maybe this this actually does affect them a lot, so they probably should. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's probably an example where they really should not be. But it's what you learn in school. Right. It's what you learn everywhere. It's all around. Inflation is necessary. Yep. Like all those people who took their uh, Econ 101 class and, and heard that, never looked at economics again, never questioned it, never thought anything. That's what they remember. Yep. Yeah. So Bitcoin's an opportunity. Like what we we're talking about with Uber and Lyft is that it doesn't ask for permission. I mean, and Bitcoin, it comes from the cypherpunks who were... I mean, that was their whole goal was to figure out ways to, you know, write code to basically destroy the government. Um, and they just were just going to write code and see what we can make of it. Um, the more I learn about those guys and that movement, the more I really like it, the more I, I want to I identify as that. Right. Uh, because they're just likewise. Yeah, they're making they're making the state obsolete by writing software. And we're in. We're in a time point in the world where software just solves so many problems in the world that it becomes a more and more powerful tool. So if Bitcoin does start, um, I think it already has been, if it serves as a better money as anything else, then according to Gresham's law, people are going to uh, jump over to it. And, um, you know, the, the U.S. dollars and other currencies they're that are uh put in place by governments their people aren't going to use them as much anymore and they can't you know as, as bitcoin matures and everything it's going to hopefully becomes more difficult to track becomes more private people get better it becomes easier to use so people, easier to keep safe easier right. to do everything right so it's going to um it's, it's not going to be very good for the government to try to still hold on to their old uh kind of slave keeping practices that they do now with us. They they're gonna have to make some sort of adjustment, which means probably do you know, do less because they're just not gonna have the power anymore. And that's one thing. I, I think a lot of uh normies out there heard a lot about Bitcoin about a year ago, a little less than a year ago when it was shooting through the roof, the price was. And then it came back down all the way down to six thousand dollars. Um, and they kind of think it was a fad. But I believe it's still in its infancy. I think you're still early. If you buy, if you've never bought Bitcoin and you buy now, um, it's still in its infancy because it's going to keep improving, keep getting stronger. And as soon as people start ex uh, accepting it more and it being used more and traded more, um, it could be the way of the future. Yeah. So right now it's, it's kind of, and it's low, which it was like before. And I, and I kick myself now for when it, you know, when it first went up to $1,200 and then, yeah. and then it dropped down. That's when I, you know, started paying attention, but then it just like stayed at a couple hundred dollars and there wasn't much, for a while. it wasn't yeah. very exciting. And I kind of just didn't really think about it or care about it as much. And then when it popped back up, everyone's going nuts. So 
I implore people out there to take this opportunity of this lull that is much less of a lull than it was last time around, but take this opportunity to learn everything you can about Bitcoin and learn it cold so that when it comes back up and it becomes more popular, you can be the person that is the point that that your family and friends and people that you know come to you to be like, oh, I got to understand what's going on here. Um, Let let me learn from this guy because it it would be a tremendous help to those people to, to make sure that they don't make the same mistakes that maybe I or you made in the past, especially with, uh, you know, not buying on exchanges where they, you know, keep your, uh, keep all your information on a, on a database that can be hacked. Um, it's, it's, I think it would pay the learning that you do now will pay huge dividends for you later. And not just the, the dividend like, of helping people, like you probably will somehow be more profitable in it too if you know Mm -hmm. how to use it well and and understand how it works because like you said i agree we're in i I forget who said it but they compared it to being like bitcoin right now is like the internet was in like 1982 it's so like it's it's not even close to being um, so it's full potential right not even close to being on on a scale where it could be money but the lightning network is chugging along and, uh, you know, assuming that works, which it's looking extremely promising. Um, I mean, that, that it, it, the potential for Bitcoin is just almost unfathomable. And I know, I mean, this stuff happens. The, the Bitcoin world is, is flying along so quickly that there's a tendency to be impatient for it and be like, man, I've been waiting. You know, when's it going to come out? When's it going to come out? But. I think it's, gotta it's be done right. Yeah, I think it's better to be a little bit conservative with this and uh, make sure everything's good because this might be our one shot at really uh, taking a bite out of the state, if not completely obliterating it with Bitcoin. So let's try to. It's going to be hard to fight a war if Bitcoin's the currency. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of what I had. Yeah. I think this is a lot better than uh, <laughs> what we were recording earlier. Our previous. Yeah. Day. Every time, every time we try to do like a, so, like a straight social thing, like just tough. social commentary. Yeah. It's not, there's other people do it really, really well. It's not my wheelhouse at all, which is fine. I mean, div- divide labor. I, you know, I'm happy because also I just get bored talking to hearing about that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I'm, I'm happy that other people can carry that, carry right. that torch. Um, we didn't talk about it, but do you have a free market success story? Uh, do you? Uh, not really. Um, well, I mean, maybe. So I'm getting new gutters finally. Oh yeah, and um. Called around to several places, had trouble getting even quotes from some people, even though they advertise free quotes. So, of course, I just didn't use them. And I got a couple quotes, and I got one that was really good. And so I'm going with that guy. It was way less than I budgeted for, way less than I expected. Um, he came. He was very polite, rung the doorbell, told me he's out front. He's going to be walking around my house, doing some measurements, came back with a number. 
um, told me some of the neighbors who have used his service if I wanted to go see what their gutters look like, um, which I know some of them, and which is how I found this guy anyway. Uh, he does good work, and the price was really good, and so I'm going to go with him. If that's a, you know, that's kind of a on-the-fly free market thing that I was thinking about buying uh, recently. But why it works is I called several people trying to get someone to do it. And thankfully, we have these options because I found a guy. Now, he didn't do the work yet, so let's not. Uh, but I have seen his work, and I got uh, recommendations from people I trust. Um, but his price killed everyone, and his work is pretty good. God bless you. Thank you. Well, if he's killing everyone, maybe he's not a very – it's not a good free market success story. Why would that not be a success? He has no competition. That's true. So he's very successful in the free market by killing people. Yep. Uh, killing them on price. And uh, thankfully I have that option because if it was somehow centrally planned, I'm paying whatever they tell me to pay and there is no motivation for that person to provide a better service or to show his other work because I have no options. I don't like your aggressive language that you're using. Sorry. Speaking of not liking language that people are using, so the Friends Against Government podcast finally got the great Todd Hagopian on. <laughs> and towards the end of their episode, they said, you know, over the Rollo and Slappy show, and I was like getting excited. Wow, they're talking Todd about us. So at the end of every episode, they do a free market success story. So I was like, man, uh, imitation is this is, is the best form of uh, con what's that saying? Flattery or something. Yeah, so again, they're gonna they're gonna use our thing to impress Todd. That's great. And then they say, "Well, that's stupid," and we're gonna make. How do we make the timeline weird? Yeah. So they are a weird a, timeline. Yeah, that was mean. I, <laughs> I, it was I offensive. Yeah, I demand satisfaction. So we're calling you out. I think a lot of people were probably expecting Carr on again. Um, why would they expect that? I don't know. <laughs> they, I, I'm, I'm not saying that they would want that or could stomach that. Just saying that, you know. They probably thought it was coming, huh? Yeah. So. Well, sorry, Carr. Womp womp. Uh, so, and sorry about your cactus, too. Hopefully you stop getting rain. Although after what you did to us with our free the free market successor, I hope all the rain we be getting up here goes down to you, and ruins yeah, ruins your cactus. Okay, uh, other podcasts our friends listen to. Since we're talking about how it's good that we're on that, that there's networking going on and we can all learn from each other, Mance Raider and the Free Man Beyond the Wall uh, podcast. Uh, there's the friend of uh, the aforementioned uh, Friends Against Government podcast with uh, Car Campit and Bird Archist. Uh, you've got Peaceful Treason podcast that is now kind of sponsored by Liberty Mugs, so uh, make sure you listen for Liberty Mugs when they do their, about it. It is when they do their <laughs> Cerveza of the week, and we have on Liberty Mugs. Go to LibertyMugs.com, and there's a there's a Peaceful Treason section. If you go click on the side, and we'll probably be adding some more stuff. But um, yeah, listen and support their show by buying stuff from us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is supporting the show. Yeah, but. it is. Uh, 
Jeremiah Harding, he's he's doing stuff all the time. He's got his morning news thing, and he's got like his I think Wednesday and Sunday nights. He's got some some shows that he does too. And then uh, last but not least, the Dino Files. Um, so yeah, the the show notes page for this episode is mcflugel.com slash one five. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, go and uh, do us a favor. If you haven't subscribed to iTunes or Stitcher, one of the other podcatchers, do that. And if you have or you haven't done that, all, go leave us a, a review, please. Give us a rating and leave us a review. That helps us out a lot. It, it helps get uh, reach, helps us show up in the in the search thing in the related field. So we would very much appreciate that. And as That's the good. Friends Against Government podcast would say, make make that timeline weird. Get creative. So and look uh, at our other reviews. There's some weird ones. Yeah. Speaking of leaving comments, we had a. a recent comment on when we post we post these uh episodes on youtube as well and one of the episodes about jordan peterson someone commented us like said like you guys are like 14 year old and smoke weed in your basement you're gonna look back and see how stupid you guys are and uh i said okay cool i said well how about you come on the podcast and debate any points you have hoping that would call his bluff and he apparently wasn't bluffing. So he said, okay. But he's yet to respond. I, I said, shoot me an email. And he hasn't done it yet. So if you're out there, whatever your name is. Come on. Yeah. We'll, we'll love to We're, talk to we'd you. be more than happy to, to have you on and, and flesh some ideas. Because I think that's fun. It is, is fun. Is, is having someone fire off some questions and, and we answer them. So. Or anybody else out there, if you think we're stupid. <laughs> Call us. Go on YouTube, call us stupid, be a normal commenter on YouTube, call us stupid, and maybe we'll have you on the show. Is that how Carr did it? He just kept calling us stupid? Yep. And then he comes on the show every other week. Yep. So see, it works. Yep. All right. Uh, go to McFlugel.com, subscribe to the email newsletter, and you'll get a discount at LibertyMugs.com, and also just go to Liberty Mugs and buy a whole lot of mugs. Great for gifts for family and friends, especially if they're not libertarians, because then you'll get a kick out of it when they open it up and they get a brainlet. All right. Thanks for listening. Oh. Yeah. We'll catch you. Yeah. Peace.